Hey, if you're enjoying this show, uh, consider supporting us on our Patreon. You can get cool perks like access to these episodes a week before they go public, and you can pick an album for us to review. Any support is greatly appreciated, so if you feel inclined, go to patreon.com slash polyphonicpress. You're listening to Polyphonic Press, a podcast for music lovers. Join your hosts, Jeremy Boyd and John Van Dyke, as they take a deep dive into a classic album and analyze it track by track. Hey, welcome to Polyphonic Press. I'm Jeremy Boyd. And I'm John Van Dyke. And uh, basically, if you don't know how this works, uh, we have no idea what album we're going to be listening to. So uh, we are going to hit the button and just see what comes up and uh, see what album we're going to be listening to. And this week we're going to be listening to The Go-Go's Beauty and the Beast. Hmm. Interesting. I don't know a whole lot about the Go-Go's. No, I'm aware of them, but yeah, they kind of flew under my radar too. They're um, part of that um, late 70s, early 80s, new wave kind of thing. Um, Let's see. Where's... What album? Beauty and the... Oh, it's Beauty and the Beat, not Beauty and the Beast. Did I say Beauty and the Beast or Beauty and the Beat? You said Beauty and the Beast because that's what it says. That's on what the it thing. says on the thing. But the name of the album is Beauty and the Beat. Can we, can we do this again? And the album we're reviewing is the Go Go's Beauty and the <laughs> Beat. Beat, not Beast. Beat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, so let's see. Uh, Beauty and the Beat. Um. Okay, so Beauty of the Beast, so this is their debut album. Uh, so the band The Go-Go's released in 1981 on IRS Records. I think IRS is... So IRS Records <clears throat> uh, is a record company that had a lot of these uh, like new wave bands. And it was started by Miles Copeland, who is the brother of Stuart Copeland from The Police. Hmm. Um, Miles, he obviously, Miles Copeland, um, was the manager of the police as well as a lot of other bands. Yep. Um, including the Go-Go's, uh, the Bangles, um, yeah, R.E.M., Berlin. The Cramps. The Cramps. Dead, Dead Kennedys. Kennedys. Okay, so the they, he, they did, uh, punk a, a lot as well. Yeah. So. Um... So yeah, they're uh, a prominent um, record label in that punk new wave era of the late 70s and early 80s. Um, Okay, but this album, uh, produced by Richard Gotherer, or Goderer? I'd say Goderer. Goderer and Rob Freeman. Um, In the late 1970s, Belinda Carlisle, Jane Wheeled, Weedlin and Margot Olivia Olaviara Olivaria Olivaria. There yeah. we go. I'm having trouble with names today. Um, 
Matt, while attending punk rock shows in uh, California, the three attended the Sex Pistols' final performance in San Francisco in January 1978, and they formed the band. So basically, this is their this is their debut album. So this is like their you know it's their debut. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah. And apparently, so, when they formed their band, they didn't know how to play instruments, but they quickly learned. Yes. <laughs> uh, as most punk bands do. Yeah, that's the way. That's the punk way. Yeah. Let's hey, form a band. Sweet. Can yeah. you play? No. No. <laughs> exactly. Can you learn? Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> so the uh, first song is, uh, I think, I know this song. I don't, I'm pretty sure you probably know what, this one too. It's Could called be. Our Lips Are Sealed. It's probably their biggest hit or one of their biggest hits. It even says uh, it's the single version. The single version. <laughs> um, so uh, here we go. This is the first song, uh, Our Lips Are Sealed. Okay, short and sweet. Yep. Um, I uh, I had heard I had heard that song a lot, but I never really listened to it. Um, that's a I think that's just a really well put together pop song. Mm-hmm. Um, I I what I liked about it is um, first of all, it's catchy as hell. It's uh, simple, uh, short, and gets right to the point. And I what I like that little breakdown towards the middle there um where it kind of um the the rhythm kind of stops it it just changes up a little bit so it keeps you interested in it's not the same thing the whole way through um yeah yeah it's uh definitely a uh you know there's nothing complicated about it but but it's uh that's the point yeah i mean some you don't need anything complicated sometimes you just that's the thing that i always i a lot of musicians i like musicians who can play well yep but i think a lot of the time musicians and music geeks and people like that can get too caught up in judging a song by how difficult it is to play yeah Uh, it that kind of bothers me more and more all the time too and i think we've talked about this before but the fact that a uh um well i know we've talked about it in 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 terms of uh like say a guitarist like i i i can respect the uh the talent and technique that goes into playing like ingve malmsteen or something like that but i'd much rather listen to um oh geez I mean, ideally, I'd like to listen to like a Stevie Ray Vaughan who has the chops, but he's got the feel to go with it. Yeah. Um, but, but given the the choice between the two, I'll take the feel. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Or or someone like um. Uh, so like it, it doesn't even have to be someone like uh, Stevie Ray Vaughan. Yeah, who, who who can like really, really rip, but um, someone who even plays really simple lines, like <clears throat> excuse me, like someone like Roger McGuinn, right? Who, um, you know, 
he's playing these like really uh, like on the 12 string obviously these really chimey um simple lines but they're effective and um they they get the point across yeah you know but and then he does stuff like eight miles high where it is a little more complicated but that's because the song calls for it right you know um but uh but you know getting back to this i mean this and this really i think a lot of the um the new wave stuff is more of a callback to that like 60s pop stuff um because right. I, I know we've talked about it before, but, but like progressive rock was really kind of starting to overstay its welcome at this point. And people wanted something, people wanted to go back to something that was a little more simple, a little more straightforward. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. Uh, Every 10 years or so, rock and roll reinvents itself. Yeah. It's kind of what happens. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's just the way it is. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so uh, moving on to the uh, next song. Uh, this one is called How Much More. Awesome. I, I love that song. That um, I like it better than the single. Yeah, um, that was it. Was just like just so full of energy, and um, I like I like this song. I know it's a um, a very common chord pattern going from the major down to the minor, but uh, I always like that. Um, yeah, it's uh, I, I, the drums were really intense. Um, the way that the they were she was playing the toms. Um, like it was a, it was jangly, but it was powerful at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's a, that's, that's power pop right there is what that is. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, yeah, I really like that. Um, I really wish power pop would make a, a comeback. Well, there's always bands that sort of keep it going. Yeah. But I wish it would, you know become like a another well you know i think it might be due yeah i hope so yeah because i uh i think we need something like that mm-hmm. um yeah and again like this this really uh harkens back to that 60s kind of sound but it also has i i, I don't know i mean it's 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 it has the elements of the sixties, but it also has like a, like a punk attitude added into it. Right. You know? Yeah, exactly. But, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, uh, that pretty much sums up what I'm <laughs> thinking. Yeah. There's not much else to add to that. I mean, yeah, there's, I mean, track. yeah. Um, Okay, so uh, let's move on to the next one, uh, as well, called just tonight. Just through this one. Just going right through it. Yeah. I mean, a lot of these songs are, are short pop songs, so there's like only a few things we can say, but uh, I mean, Unless that's not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, no. that's just, you know, 
This is um, what it is. Yeah. Yeah, I guess like like touch on like some musicality or, or a note or an influence that we pick up on or something like mm-hmm. that. Just to sort of give us a guide of what we can possibly talk about as this goes. I mean, we don't know what we're going to get necessarily. Ew. Yeah, exactly. That's the point of the whole podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, okay. So, uh, let's... Number three. Uh, number three, uh, tonight... Another good song. Yeah, I think I think I like that one even more than the last. Yeah, one. yeah. Well, this and this album just keeps getting better and better. Yeah, and this song, uh, you know what I heard? What's that? I heard REM. Yeah, I heard in this. Song. Yeah, a lot of like a real REM sort of sound to it. Which is interesting because this was a few years before mm-hmm. REM. But so, it, it had that sort of jangle pop sort of sound to it. And even yeah. the way the song was written was very, I could almost hear Michael Stipe singing it. Yeah, I know. Or talking over it, <laughs> as yeah, she, might be uh, the case. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, what I was thinking about uh, in this, when I was listening to this is, you know, they mentioned that they, uh, they formed the band after seeing the Sex Pistols play and Mm. started playing in clubs. And, you know, I just, it's interesting to me how music scenes sort of form because in the, in the seventies, you think about punk rock as either being a British thing or a New York thing. And these, Mm -hmm. the, these guys were in LA, um, in, on the West coast. And I just never really thought about, um, like a, the punk rock scene. I I always thought it was isolated to, to either England or New York. Cause CB, like there's all this whole, a mythology of the punk rock of New York with CBGBs and that whole thing. Yeah. But, you don't really think yeah. too much about the different scenes that were kind of happening throughout the whole country, I guess. Of course. But then this is the same scene that uh, like Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers were part of too. Like they used to play the same gigs as a lot of these other groups. Mm-hmm. And um, LA usually has its own version of what, you know, uh, it's got its finger on the pulse of whatever scene's going on anywhere. It just seems yeah. to be, I mean, that's, you can't help it when that's where the record labels are, are, are located, or at least that was the case. That's very true. In, in the past century. Um, so yeah. Um, I always got to wonder about nowadays, but I'm not entirely, I, I have a hard time getting my head around the, <laughs> well, <laughs> with the ones going on now, <laughs> I'm such an old geezer now. What you mean? You mean record companies? Yeah. Well, it's hard to decide whether they got their finger on the pulse or not, or whether they're just kind of calling the shots. Well, well, the thing is, I don't think record companies are even relevant anymore. Yeah, not um, really. I mean, the the uh, f- one of the biggest selling artists that have has come out in the last few years is Billie Eilish. Yeah, and when she blew up she didn't have a record deal that's right 
So I don't think record companies are relevant anymore. I think it's really more about discovering discoverability online and really yeah. doing your own stuff. Yeah, Bandcamp's got a more presence Band, in, in yeah. In, there's Bandcamp and SoundCloud and and places. At least like that when it comes can, to uh, stuff that people are actually listening to, when you turn on the radio, there still seems to be a lot of like industry. Unless somebody is decided, it's established. You, you never hear any hear them. Yeah, yeah, but that's kind of always been the case. Yes. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, unless it's a local radio station or like an independent radio station that's playing that you can sub- somebody could submit right their their t- but at, at that point like if I were an artist today I wouldn't probably I probably wouldn't go that route route because you know oh yeah me neither you know the, submitting my song to a radio station I mean. Is anybody going to hear it? That's, That's the a, thing. It, people will hear it when they're wandering around a store, maybe. Yeah. Um, maybe when they turn on the radio, because they don't really have any other means, depending on what they're driving, um, yeah. <laughs> of listening to anything. But yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's a little, it's partly, it's just, it's just a major upheaval. I mean, it's just not. I don't know if anybody really knows what's a hundred percent going on. Everybody has theories, but nobody's got, you know, solid uh, evidence of, yeah. of 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 anything really concrete. I mean, there's examples of every theory, but 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 what's the general trend going on? Yeah. Did you, there was, um, I don't know if you ever saw, there was a video of um, Frank Zappa talking about how, I'm I'm sure I must have mentioned it at some point or shown you or something, but he was talking about how like in the 60s, just the evolution of the record industry and and how in in the 60s, it was like the big... um, you know, conservative cigar chomping guys. And he was explaining that artists were actually better off with those guys running the show because they just said, you know, I don't know. Yeah. Put it out, see what happens. Yeah. So artists had more of a chance with the guys who didn't really know what was going on. And, um, and then, you know, it started in the seventies. They, they would get this, I think he explained how he, they would get like, they would hire a guy with long hair they wouldn't completely trust him, but they would, you hire him to, to get them coffee and to do little jobs here and there. And then they would slowly start to say, okay, well, what are you listening to? What do you like? And then it evolved into, um, the A&R guys and, and, uh, and then those guys kind of, molding the artist to the way the industry is rather than the industry adapting to what the artists are right. doing. The, the, um, because now the execs sort of see themselves as an art artist themselves. And whereas you think that wouldn't be, you, you think that would get you sympathy, but instead it tends to, they have their own idea. So instead of being open to, anybody else's idea you kind of find yourself having to 
conform to their idea. And that that sometimes and you know, as I love artists, I can be an artist myself, or I I consider in some instances an artist myself. Um but a lot of artists have fairly large egos. <laughs> they can, yeah. Um yeah. And uh yeah, having with a large ego comes with a lot of like opinions and Unfortunately, with opinions comes, you know, kind of more, a, a more rigid structure sometimes. Well, I think I think the the, the record executive guys are. I don't think they're necessarily artists. They're they want to be artists. Exactly. They consider they, them. They're they see artists. themselves as a, as an artist. Yeah. They see themselves as as opposed to. The, the record execs of the old days were as scummy as they could be. They never claimed to have their finger on the pulse unless right. something was actually bringing in actual yeah. money. But these guys have their own idea. So, and yeah, they're raking in money, but they seem to have a more, they, they're calling shots that really aren't theirs to call. Right. And they're, um, there, there were probably guys that not only owned a record company, but probably owned other businesses too, and kind of left the artists alone to do whatever, because the, the record company probably wasn't their main concern. So Possibly. they just kind of left it alone and you let the artists do whatever they were going to do. And if it makes money, it makes money. And if it doesn't, it doesn't. Well, a lot of these companies were like sub brands of like uh, movie production companies. Yeah. So, you know, the big money makers probably was what was coming out of Hollywood. And, and actually a lot of them, like the record companies sprung out of that for basically the soundtracks of movies, which used to be major hits when you go back to like the 30s and 40s and even into the 50s um, and occasionally later on. Um, but yeah, when it became like its own music sort of going branching off into its own direction the record companies sort of became their own entities and i think that might be partly also why the uh it took a little bit longer but whereas the older executives were sort of like they were still holding on to the reins of both eventually they had to the 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 grip fell out of their hands well, I of think the record I think, companies into the hands of these other guys who had more rigid ideas of what they considered music. Yeah, I th what I think it really happened. I think it really happened in the seventies yeah. when because the seventies was um, that was the most successful the music business had ever been. Um, that was when everybody was making money, like big, big money. Yeah, um, and. It's the first time I think the executives realized how much money they could make. And I think since then they've been trying to grab onto that, that um, by trying to curtail artists into being something they think that they can sell. Exactly. Um, so I think that sort of the, the money that was being made in the 70s was sort of the catalyst to uh, the executives shaping the music industry from then on 
Yeah, which is why I the could 70s be wrong. Was, this is my that's my theory. I could be totally wrong. Yeah, but, no, you know. but that that sounds good. It, it makes sense because uh, the seventies sort of being that middle ground, and uh, there was that uh, you could almost sort of chart it out. Whereas the early seventies was still very much in common with the sixties. Whereas it's probably one of the most uh, creative times in the music industry. And by the time the later 70s is, is, is rolling around, with maybe the exception of smaller labels, such as the IRS label and, and, and other ones like that, uh, it was largely, I mean, disco was a very manufactured genre. Um, and, and yeah, and certainly into the 80s, where they were trying to fit everybody into molds. Um, not that it killed all creativity, but it definitely killed a lot. <laughs> Um, and everything did sound very corporate and polished and it really wasn't the best thing for music at the time. And people even said so at the time. Um, I mean, there's a bit of a nostalgia for that sound now, but it's, again, it's, it, it's sort of the rose colored glasses effect and the nostalgia effect. Um, and you know, there's a legitimacy to, to that too. I mean, you can take elements of these things and, and use them legitimately. Like I've, if you listen to something like Vaporwave or something like that, they take that corporate sound, but then filter it through, um, you know, it almost sounds like a, a deteriorating VHS tape or an old yeah. record or something like that. And it makes it interesting again. It's like a lo-fi version yeah, of, of, of a highly polished. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Aesthetic. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I digress. Anyway, <laughs> back from that tangent. Yeah. Um, and we thought so, we wouldn't have anything to talk about. Right. <laughs> um, so the, the next song that we have is uh, called Lust to Love. All right, I kind of like that one. That was a bit darker. Yep, that was, that was another really good one. Uh, yeah, yeah, the songwriting quality was that one's pretty high. Yeah, I mean it's pretty amazing that this is the the debut album. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't really feel like it. No, like it do, it doesn't feel like a band figuring it out. It doesn't. Oddly enough, it doesn't sound like a band that learned to play their instruments since the last time the Sex Pistols play, which was like three years before this came out (laughs) yeah exactly like they learned what they were doing pretty quickly gotta say yeah um yeah i like this one i like the production on this one there was um the the first three i feel although i like it it, they were the the every it everything was kind of in your face whereas this one left a little more room um, there was uh, a little bit spacier, a little spacier. Yeah. There was a lot more reverb, I think, going on, and uh, and again, that's just. I think a lot of the time, um, producers that that's just a credit to the 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 producer and the engineers, obviously, but a lot of the times I've know I know this that producers kind of get caught up in. Um, 
perfecting everything. Not necessarily perfecting everything, but putting their own stamp on everything. Yes. And this is my sound. Right. Whereas a good producer will do whatever the song calls for. Yes. Um, and I have to, what I, what's, I can't remember the name of the producer, Richard Goddard, um, and Rob Freeman. I mean, these guys, I, I've never heard of them, but they are great producers because they are making choices that are right for the song, not necessarily what's going to make, make a name for themselves. Right. Right for the song, right for the band, right for, you know, whatever they're working with. They're not trying Mm to, um, I mean, they're, they obviously have to mold it, but they're molding it into a shape that's sort of already kind of there. They're not trying to completely, you know, reach, they're not taking a, a cow and twisting it into a pretzel. Right. <laughs> they're they're exactly. saying, oh, yeah. we've got a, uh, uh, let's see, what, what, what are we presented with? Uh, a unicorn? Cool. We'll uh, just make it a little bit more highly defined unicorn. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's just a bit. Right. I'm just thinking of trying yeah. to think of a visual way of trying to represent <laughs> what they're doing audibly. Yeah. But I, and I never really understood the, um, the combative nature sometimes, uh, that producers will have with artists. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, unless you know the uh the band says we want you to turn the bass player down <laughs> well there, there's there's that there's that <laughs> but i but i mean like i never understood why like a producer will say no we're we're play it this way not that way and i i understand i do understand that but i i don't understand um fighting with the artist right i've and i've heard countless stories of of producers fighting with the artists that they're supposed to be producing Mm -hmm. and there's a way you may have a part in your head and it's perfect for the song and you're 100 percent right that the part that you have in your head is right for the song and it's your job to get the guitar player or the drummer or whoever to play that part Mm -hmm. there's a way that you can do that without being an asshole (laughs) generally you can be more you can be persuasive and and just make suggestions instead of dictating and saying no you play it this way like phil specter Pulling right. a gun on the Ramones yes. and making them play the first chord to uh, Rock and Roll High School for eight hours straight makes no sense. <laughs> yes, but <laughs> this why is Phil would you do that? <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think a lot in Phil Spector's life made any sense past no. 1966. No. So, so yeah, uh, yeah. That's a true story, by the way. I know. That is, yeah. Yeah, when you the mean the first, audience, yeah. Yeah, the first chord. The <laughs> the first chord, not even the whole song, I, not even playing the whole song I would over and over and for eight find hours. another producer. I don't yeah. care how big Phil Spector is, and he yeah. was big, mm-hmm. but I ain't putting up with that shit. 
No. <laughs> no. What, <they're, laughs> what kind of punk band are you letting a guy like, letting a geezer like Phil Spector push you around like that? He's got yeah. a gun. Yeah. Well, okay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but <laughs> when this do hour's any... done, we're leaving. <laughs> <laughs> if someone has a gun, you'll pretty much do whatever they say. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, I mean, I... I basically a roundabout way of saying the producers are doing this job. They're they're the producers are doing a really good job on this yeah. album by uh, making choices that are for the song and not, you know, because they have a vision and you know, it's their way or the highway. Yep. At least they're me. They're doing a good job of making it appear that way. I have, I wasn't at the recording sessions. I don't know how it actually went down, but right. You know, <laughs> at least it sounds that that's what's happening. It's pretty safe to assume that the uh, yeah. that the Ramones weren't cool with it. No, no, <laughs> no. <laughs> I don't care who you are. If you yeah. pull a gun and, and make me play the same chord for eight hours straight, I'm probably not going to be okay with you either. <laughs> no. Nope. Well, we're not hiring him again. No. Yeah. Um. All right, so um, moving on, the uh, the next song is called "This Town." Here we go. Cool. I uh, another great song. Yeah, that's another really good one. I, I like uh, the time signature in it too. Yeah. I was trying to figure out what that actually was, but it would seem they sort of, they skip a, a bar or something. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's still four, four, but it's, they're just kind of playing around. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, I don't, I just sounds, I don't mean this to sound bad, but I don't think um, they were advanced enough in their playing to play around with different time signatures. But they kind of did anyway. They kind of, maybe they did. I think I, it is still 4-4. Four, four. I'll have to go back and listen to it again. Yeah, it, it's, yeah. it's a little bit different, but yeah, they're sort of yeah. jumping. It's almost like a a 6 or uh, it's not a six four, but it's almost like a yeah. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah. It's I can't it's trying to figure it out. Yeah, it um, I also, it works though, and, and it had that really cool uh, twangy thing. It's almost like an old Dwayne Eddy tune or something when it started yeah. up. It's cool. Yeah, um, yeah. I thought that the guitar tone. Is that, that would be, is that a Gretsch? Yeah, it sounded like it might have been something like that. If not, then they played with whatever they were using to sort of get a Gretschy yeah. tone, I think. Um, which, and I think the other, one of the other songs before, which I think was Tonight, which had that uh, almost like a Rickenbacker-y tone, but I don't even think they were using a 12-string. They just had that tone yeah. applied to it somehow. Yeah. It was pretty cool. Yeah. So. Um yeah, these they're definitely uh pulling things out of the uh the 60s, that's for sure. Yeah. 
you know. And this was the beginning of, it seems like every 20 years there's a nostalgia for the, for 20 years before. Yeah, it's usually. Like there was nostalgia, there was big nostalgia for the 50s and the 70s and yep. 60s and the 80s, 70s and the 90s. It was. Well, there's a, there's a, a, an affection for the 90s now I've noticed. And yeah. Places. Although it's starting to get more into uh, yeah, people are talking 2000s. About the early two thousands. Yeah, and I look at that and I'm like, but but that was just, but that was just, yeah, but so, yeah, it was twenty years ago. No, is it? No, it wasn't just it was. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, we're just old and times going by too fast. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah, and what I again th- this this song is a bit uh, different in in that it leaves a lot of space, um, but in a different way than um, "Lust to Love." Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, I just I think it's cool. Obviously, they're they're singing about uh, Los Angeles, and um, yeah. I've. I've noticed that with every, I mean, we started off with the single and, and isn't this the way it goes? The simplest song was the one that started us off, but with every successive song so far, they've introduced a different element. They've just added and then another element and then another element. And, yeah. and the songs are getting a little bit more sophisticated as we go through the album. Yeah. At least halfway through the album, that seems to be the case. That's, that's, that happens all the time. Yeah. Um, it's usually, you know, look, uh, Miles Copeland, he was a champion of indie, independent bands uh, getting their recognition, but he was also a really good manager and, he, you know, he knew how to sell a band, mm-hmm. but he knew how to sell a band as they were. Right. Not, he didn't try to mold them like we were talking about earlier. He he took a band and saw what they were doing and knew how to sell that rather than trying to change the band to be able to sell them. He was really good at seeing bands for who they were. I mean, he obviously he managed the police and, and uh, a lot of those punk bands and, you know, especially what was it? Dead, was it dead Kennedys? Yeah. Dead yeah. Kennedys and the cramps, which are another really great uh, punk bands from the late seventies, early eighties. Yeah. There's no way you're going to tell them what to do. No. So dead Kennedy's <laughs> for sure. Yeah. That's their shtick. Yeah. We, we exactly. get in front of a microphone and we tell you what's what. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, so he's really good at, at selling, um, you know, selling bands that knew, um, uh, I, I, I forgot what I was saying. He's good at selling bands for who they were. Yeah. Um. And uh, so basically, what, what I'm saying is, he was, knew yeah. he knew to put the uh, that out as a single, yeah. and he knew that that would they they probably wrote the song. Yeah. Not intending it to sell, but he heard the song and saying, "I know I can sell this." Yeah. So he's really smart that way. It's like, okay, I can I can see what the band is doing, and I know what to present to the world. Yeah. And, and it just gets me on another tangent about some of the other, um, you know, 
uh, producers at the time where, you know, they talk about, oh, we got this band, uh, 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 um, Heart from, you remember them from the 70s, Barracuda and stuff like that? Oh, yeah, I think I remember. So do they play synthesizers? Um, I guess so, yeah. says the manager. Yeah. Go to the band. You okay? You play synthesizers now because I told this guy you did. Yeah. What? <laughs> I, I could just see well I, I could see that or just uh, yeah. um, I can see a guy just ripping a line of cocaine yeah and going, <sighs> okay you know how you guys are a really good guitar band yeah fuck all that <laughs> you're, you're, we're gonna put you on a on, on, on a on a tether and we're gonna make you fly through flames yeah and It'll be great. It'll be great. Great. Yeah. yeah. We're going to make a shitload of money. We're going to be rich, man. Yeah. <laughs> smoke yeah. machines. More smoke machines. Yeah. Bubbles. What happened to the bubble machines from the Lawrence Welk show? What did he do with those? <laughs> you still using them? Damn it. <laughs> Get Welk on the horn. I need his bubble machine. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> anyway, uh, the next song is actually another single, uh, but this is the beginning of side two. So I wonder if side two will follow the same pattern. We'll see. This is probably the biggest hit that they had. Either Our Lips Are Sealed or We Got the Beat are the biggest two hits, I think. Um, so here we go. That was, um, that reminded me of like early Beach Boys. Uh, I can sort of hear that. Um, it's partly because of the, uh, hmm, interesting. I, I, I will say, um, I, I think that's a stronger single than the, Mm -hmm. than the other one. It's just got a much, much stronger hook. Um, and it's. I don't know which one was more successful. I think it's probably got to be this one. I think this one, I think this was the first single actually. Mm. Um, although the other one was the first uh, song on the album, this was the first single. Um, yeah, I, I would agree. I think this one is, is a stronger single. Um, yeah. And it has a, <clears throat> like you said, it has a, as a, stronger hook um it has that breakdown in the middle where it's just mm-hmm. the drums and the hand claps and they're like chanting it which would work really well probably at their live shows yeah that's a, um yeah um i also have noticed that they put their singles as the first track on either side which yeah. is a it's a pretty interesting uh and i think it's a pretty smart uh like that's a marketing move that's it's almost like they could sell the record as a single and exactly. people don't have to worry about trying to search place the needle right on the spot on the record where the where, where the uh um, single starts they can go right to their most likely favorite song is because mm-hmm. it's right there at the beginning of the of the record or the side yep, yep. Um, yeah that's a i never thought about that but yeah that's a really mm-hmm. really smart thing to do 
Plus, they get all this other bonus stuff. I mean, they're paying for it. They were paying yeah. full record price for it, obviously. Exactly. Yeah. Um. Yeah. But yeah, I, there, I, maybe it was some of the guitar stuff that reminded me of uh, like early Beach Boys, maybe. kind of that surf rock kind of thing. Maybe. But but I always considered like I always thought think more of like the ventures and and things like that when I think surf rock. I mean, yeah. um, the Beach Boys didn't sound like I mean, they they had more of that uh, beach like sort of surf theme, but it wasn't surf rock if you know what I mean. It wasn't yeah. really that guitar based. Most of surf rock was pretty instrumental. If if there was any vocalizations, it was hoops and hollers, like, yeah, uh, wipeout or something like that tequila uh, yeah um meanwhile uh the beach boys was at least more along the lines of like jan and dean and, and other people yeah. like that uh, they guess, obviously branched out later after the beatles started to g- become more serious mm-hmm. um and and yeah brian wilson went oh yeah i kind of want to do proper you know write more intricate and and, and interesting stuff too Mm-hmm. But that's another topic for another day. Yeah. Yeah. We'll get to that when we do. <laughs> yeah. That sounds. <laughs> um, you thought you were going to get another tangent. <laughs> Not this time. No, we stopped ourselves. Uh, <laughs> Control. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think this is, um, I mean, I like the other single too. I mean, it's yeah, not no, a it's bad, not bad song, but this yeah, I think this is better. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, do you think, so do you think, um, if you were sequencing the album, do, would you start this song off, start the album with this song rather than the, the other one? Um, like, would you, you swap know, the two? The way I like to listen to an album, I sometimes like, I don't like to use all the best stuff right at the beginning of the album. One thing that actually kind of bothers me about a lot of albums sometimes is when they kind of run out of gas with the, the further along you, you get into them and even there's some really great albums but they start to slow down mm-hmm. and it's not necessarily the stuff is bad but you kind of feel a little tired at the end of it so yeah. i don't know i think they place this pretty much especially considering they wanted to put the singles at the beginning of both sides putting the the best of them on side two you know, especially for an album listener, after they listen through all that and the, the gradual progression of everything getting better and better, you flip the record over. There's the big hit of the, the better of the two, mm-hmm. for sure. So I might have placed it exactly where it is, to be perfectly okay. honest. If I'm thinking like that, so yeah, yeah, that's fair. No, I was just curious if you would mm. make that choice. Yeah, I don't think about that very often. Usually, I kind of accept an album as it is, but as it is, yeah. But but as I've uh, explain sometimes i've noticed a, a record will run out of gas when it gets to the end so it's like yeah. well you should have topped that tank tank off a little bit more or, or you know conserved your gas in, 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 along certain highways there instead of just pedal to the metal until yeah, you're exactly. running on fumes towards the end yeah <laughs> yeah no i know exactly yeah. what you mean yeah uh, okay so uh let's move on to the next one it's called uh, fading fast. Yeah. 
All right. That was a pretty good song. Yeah, it wasn't bad. I don't know if it was as high quality as some of the stuff we've heard before, but you can definitely tell that they've kept a lot of the um, elements that they picked up on as they've gone through the album. Mm-hmm. It's, 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 um, um, you know, I don't, I don't really want to call it this, but it's almost like just a bit of a drop, but it's not down quite as far as like, say the beginning was or, or as rudimentary as the beginning was. There's other right. things going on. So it's still pretty decent. Yeah. I think maybe what happened here, uh, I could be wrong, but I, I think what it sounds like is, um, cause th- th- I think they were, the music is a little more interesting yeah. or at least they're, tr- and I think they're attempting to play something that's a little more complex, but I don't think they're, they have the experience yet to quite pull it off. Mm, um, this is also something you can make up with, with like, you know, several different takes in the studio too. Yeah. So, you know, and, and, and after you've done like 25 takes of a song, you usually can play it pretty well. Well, I'm not, I'm not talking about the playing. I'm talking about the right, like coming up with the different parts. It's like, I, like they don't, they're, it sounds like they're not quite sure of themselves Mm. quite yet. You know what I mean? Like they don't quite have the experience of maybe coming up with different parts to, it sounds like they're trying to get there, but they're not, they're not quite quite the, hitting the bullseye yeah it's still not bad though it's no still pretty it's, i'm not saying it's bad yeah. it's, a, it's a good song um that uh i don't i don't know if it was uh the guitar or the synthesizer doing that um what that uh, outro thing the beep, beep, yeah beep, 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 but it was going beep. throughout the whole song right I think and it, it just kind keyboard. of um gave it this sort of rhythm i think it might be uh I noticed, uh, I heard, I think I heard something like an old com, uh, combo organ mm-hmm. it's the, earlier in the album. It might have even been that. It could be. Um, something like that. If it, one of the, one of my, um, one of the things that I do that I, I don't know if it's necessarily a good thing that I do, but when I listen to a song, sometimes I'll, take on the role of the producer and find things that I would do differently. And mm. one of the things that I would do differently in this is I would have the drummer um, play more fills. Mm. Uh, it sounds like she was, ju- she was just, there were a few fills, but it they were, she was just mostly just playing the beat. And with a song like this, a, a, a faster song that makes sense. You want to keep that steady yeah. beat, but a song like this, you want to do something a little more interesting than you, just that. That would and have I, helped the song. Yeah, I think you're yeah. right. That would have added just that extra little bit of interest in places that it seemed to to want it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I I can even hear it in my head, and I kind of do the same thing. And a lot of times, I hear something and go, "Oh, it's sort of missing," but I always think myself more as a musician in the room. Yeah. So, yeah. And I'd be getting behind the drums or getting at the keyboard and going, play it like this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But then again, yeah. a lot of producers do that too. <laughs> yeah, they do. And yeah. we were just talking about how that's not necessarily what you want them to do. Exactly. So, but yeah, I do yeah. that on my own stuff for sure. Right. But yeah. Yeah. 
Um, okay, so let's uh, move on to the next one. Uh, this uh, next one is called Automatic. when bands aren't afraid to get a little weird yeah me too yeah that's like that was a, a good one that uh i think that's the only song on the album so far that had a fade out too yeah um, well there was one um i think the second or third song had a fade out hmm. i might have just not noticed i guess yeah. fade outs were kind of common i don't always hear them yeah <laughs> no i know um yeah, this this is another song where it sounded a bit like uh, an REM deep track, mm-hmm. a little bit at times. Not all the time, but at times. Yeah. Um, um obvi- it was a little bit psychedelic. Mm-hmm. Um, had some of those elements in there. Um, mm. And I I like that it's I what I was going into this I was kind of not concerned, but. I guess my expectation, because I knew the two songs, that they were all just going to be like the same kind of balls to the wall punk pop song. Yeah, yeah, pop punk songs. Um, But I'm pleasantly surprised that that's not the case. Mm -hmm. That they, you know, went a little deeper and actually wrote some interesting stuff. And I like that this this song, uh, you know, you can tell usually when. uh, with a band's uh, uh, debut album, you can hear their influences and they wear their influences on their sleeves. And, mm-hmm. you know, as they progress in their career, they sort of find their own thing. Yeah. It seems like they, you know, you can definitely hear the influences of a lot of 60 stuff, but they're also pretty early on finding their own sound. Yeah. You know, which is like I like I said, this doesn't feel like it in that respect. It doesn't feel like a debut album. It feels like, and I and I wonder if because they started the band before they could play instruments, that helped with that. That they Maybe. they kind of went in fresh and not having you know played for ten years on their own, learning you know covers they just kind of went in started a band and started they probably played some covers but you know quickly started writing their own songs yeah it's interesting like some people really do seem to have like this inherent talent that you know they pick it up um pick up the instrument and they can sort of sort of figure things out much quicker than a lot of other people do Mm -hmm. um it's just uh, it's sometimes that's the way it is Um, this is not to dissuade anybody who, you know, wants, most people don't do that. Okay. No. Um, it's, it's rare. It's rare. (laughs) Yeah. I, I did to a certain degree, to a certain point, Mm -hmm. and then it's a bit of a slog trying to get better. Mm -hmm. So that's where I'm at. Um, but yeah, um, I did pick up things pretty quick Mm -hmm. when it came to initial playing and stuff like that. 
but so I, I can I can see both sides and I really don't want to discourage anybody who wants to pick up an instrument and say, oh, well, this is, you just pick up an instrument and they already know how to play it. And it's like, no, that's yeah. not how it goes. No, most, <laughs> most, most people don't. No, don't go, do that. No, most people's, you know, start with E and then A yeah. back to E, you know, that's. Yep. And most people start off learning covers like most people don't. Yeah, right. It's rare when someone learns to play guitar and then immediately starts writing their own stuff and it's good. Like that not everybody's <laughs> the shags. Of course exactly. the shags are a little weird too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, I, I like I like that this song it like my image of the this doesn't sound like what I think of when I think of the go-go's but it also doesn't really sound like anybody else. It's kind of mm. its own thing. Right. Like you said, it's, it has elements of, it could be an REM deep cut, but, yeah. well, <laughs> but this, this was, this was year, uh, like three or four years before REM's yeah. first album came out. So, yeah, I, you know, I think so. They had some, like, I think they had like some tapes out, but I don't think they weren't big or anything like that. I, I don't think there was no. really a much of an influence until they start putting out, stuff towards the mid to late 80s but i think they even had i think their first ep whatever you call it it was like basically just a combination of songs that they kind of just stuck together on whatever and i think it came out maybe even the late 70s but i don't remember exactly they were around for a little while anyway i can't remember what their timeline's like (laughs) (laughs) no but i mean the point is like there's no they Maybe, maybe not, they were influenced by the Go Go's. Could you know? be, you know, which yeah. yeah wouldn't be surprising. I think they were in similar circles. Yeah, so that might be part of it. So I don't know. Mm-hmm. Could be. Yeah. All right. Um. So moving on to the next one. Uh, it's called uh, "You Can't Walk in Your Sleep If You Can't Sleep." Which is true. (laughs) Very logical, astute observation. (laughs) (laughs) Was a very abrupt ending. That was a very abrupt ending. (laughs) Um, That was an all right song. I. it was honestly kind of a throwaway. Um, a little bit. You know. It, it Again, it's, it's not a bad song. It's just no. uh, not the strongest on the album. I no. did like that surf guitarish solo in the middle. I thought that was yeah. pretty cool. Yeah, that was cool. Um, other than that, I think it was... Um, I would say it's on the same level as the first song. In terms of quality, it's, it's, it's not a bad song. It's just, um, just a simple catchy pop song. Right. Um, yeah, it's not my favorite, but not a bad song either. That's what I'll say about it. Not my favorite song. Probably wouldn't skip it. No. (laughs) It's not bad enough to skip. (laughs) No, exactly. Um, yeah, that's really all I have to say about it. Um, so moving on to the next one, we've got two songs left. 
the second to last is called Skid Marks on My Heart. That was, uh, boy, nothing gets me going like girls singing about cars. <laughs> and then with another surf guitar solo in the middle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that was a pretty decent song, actually. That, that, that was better than the last one. That should have been a single, I think. It could have been a single. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, no, definitely better than the last one. Yeah. It, it, I, I don't know. There's just something about it. It had more... I, energy i want to say well yeah i guess it did yeah 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 um and again like there's nothing more um, much i can say about it it's, it's a like pop rock song mm-hmm. like the last one but it's just i don't know maybe it's i i, I really don't know what what's different about it um like i can't put into words why yeah. i like this one better than the last one it's but the- undescribable other thing yeah sort of thing is this like well that one's clearly better can't really pinpoint why it's just yeah. is. <laughs> it just is yeah yeah um yeah yeah maybe it is maybe the the maybe it is more energy maybe the drums are a little faster maybe the guitar i like yeah i really don't know. was doing a little more in there it yeah have been part of it yeah, maybe maybe more interesting things going on. The the yeah. rhythm sections making your butt wiggle. That's probably yeah. it. That's, That's probably, probably it. it. <laughs> um all right, so now we've arrived at the last song and it is called Can't Stop the World. That's a pretty strong closer. That is a very strong closer. Yeah. Um, yeah, <laughs> that was maybe one of my favorites on the album, actually. It might be. Yeah. yeah. The, Just, uh, uh, it's a, a bit of a, a good closing ethos. Uh, can't stop the world, so why let it stop you? Exactly. Yeah. Something yeah. I need to remind myself of sometimes. <laughs> a good a good song with a good message. Yeah. Yeah. And, and and more really great guitar playing. Great guitar tones, great guitar playing in it. Yeah. And a catchy melody. Very catchy. Yeah. <laughs> that was very, very solid yeah. closer to this album. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, I see why it's on the list. It's a pretty yeah. good one. Yeah. Yeah. I was, um, I was pleasantly surprised by this album. Mm-hmm. Um, Dim some badass ladies. Yeah. I, uh, <laughs> I was, uh, you know, I was... Because I knew some of the singles, I obviously heard them before, mm-hmm. and I'm sure you have too. I certainly um, heard that uh, the "We Got the Beat." I've heard it before, not often, mm-hmm. but I had no. heard it before. Yeah. Um, and other, I think other than those two songs, maybe a, a few others uh, from a, a, a later album. Um, I never really paid much attention to the Go Go's, mm-hmm. uh, and. I hate the the comparison between the two 
because it's it's a record industry thing to sell records and it's a macho thing but there was probably a rivalry sexist. it was probably sexist it was there was a, a manu i think it was a manufactured rivalry between the go-go's and the bangles yeah. because they're two very similar bands who had a like a 60s pop um right sound and so I knew the the Bengals because they and I was more familiar with their music because I they um, I think I was introduced to them because they sang back up on a Tom Petty song. I think they did uh, it waiting on a for things. tonight. Yeah, they did. A, they um, did a couple things with them. I think around that. Yeah. Period. So I knew them, and so I sort of listened. I was introduced to them that way, and I knew a lot of their music and maybe I had subconsciously bought into the rivalry because I kind of maybe dismissed the go-go's a little bit because of that. I was like maybe choosing sides. Mm. Um, sometimes but, subconsciously you do that, but then sometimes it's, I know nothing about it, but nothing introduced you. Sometimes it, it doesn't matter. Like, um, something just doesn't get introduced to you for whatever reason. It's just, you're always circling around. And I mean, it's just the way it goes. Yeah. So it might not have been that at all. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I didn't even you know, know anything about the real rivalry or anything. I think it probably I, wasn't even a rivalry. It, no, there there wasn't. I don't think they even really knew each other, to be honest. But um, <laughs> it was just a music industry thing to sell yeah. records and magazines and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, oh, and they never do that now. No, of course not. No. um but uh but yeah no i i so uh, because i'm more familiar with the bangles than the go-go's i i guess in my mind kind of split them off and sort of dismiss them but i'm i'm glad that i listened to this and and sort of um and pleasantly surprised and uh and um yeah i'm probably going to listen to them more now yeah they're worth going through their uh um uh discography that's the word i'm Mm -hmm. looking for yeah worth checking out for sure Mm -hmm. but yeah this this album for sure it's a win yeah yeah i uh i'm uh it's an yeah and we keep doing this we keep we keep going I, i i don't know about you but i go into you know an album will pop up and i have an idea in my head of what the band is based on the few songs that i hear yeah and then i listen to the album it's like oh this is actually interesting this is Mm. actually there's more going on than i thought there was (laughs) yeah it's 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 you kind of do that but part of that is the compartmentally i can't speak anyway that's me slapping my face so I can yeah. speak properly. I do that sometimes. Um, <laughs> car- compartmentalizing. Sometimes your brain does that just to yeah. reduce the overflow of stuff. Yeah. Like, especially if you're digging through albums and digging through albums and you go into, I don't know, a record store and you flip through, oh, I got to go through the R's and then the S's and flip, 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 flip. Mm-hmm. And you're not going to walk home with the whole damn stack. There's exactly. things that, that you, your brain has to like 
divide things up into the things that you really want to pick out. And in doing that, unfortunately, you wind up writing off some stuff just because, well, not even writing it off. You just, I mean, there's only so much money. You can't buy that album. Yeah. You don't know anything about it. It's it's a bit of a risk. Exactly. Well, I going back further to our first episode, like when we did the U two album, I I I liked U two, but I just thought, well, you know, that's not really my thing. Listening to the album, it's like, oh, there's maybe this is my thing. (laughs) Yeah, I'd heard more of them, and I've always liked Sunday Bloody Sunday. I always thought that song was great. Mm -hmm. Um. But so, yeah, I mean, but yeah, it's not like the albums were necessarily kicking around my house. I mean, there was just other stuff and it's not because there was anything against them. It's just mm-hmm. other stuff took priority. That's the way, the best way to describe it. Yeah. Other stuff took priority. Yeah. So that's why this sort of experimentation is, is useful because it's yeah. digging up the stuff that didn't take priority. Exactly. Yeah. Um. So I'm, uh. Because of that, I'm, uh, I, I know I keep saying this, but it's true. I mean, I'm glad we're doing this and I'm glad yeah. that I'm discovering music. I, I'm, uh, you know, discover, you know, when, if an artist comes up that I've never heard of before, that's one thing, but it's, I think it's breaking my, um, preconceived notions. Uh, uh, yeah. Of artists. I think it's more exciting than discovering an artist that I never heard of. Yeah, sometimes. You know, Although I, I still like finding artists I've never heard of, and then being I, I pleasantly surprised and find, ooh, that guy's cool, or yeah. that girl's cool, or these girls are cool. <laughs> and yeah. In the case of this band, but but having but a paradigm of shift of a of an artist is is uh, is is fun, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah. Anyway, I don't have anything to say. Did you want to? No, I think we pretty much, uh, we, like, like I said earlier, it's just like, we always find something to talk about when it comes to these things. Even when we go in first, well, that song was cool. What's the next one like? I guess that one's kind of cool too. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Are we going to have anything to say about this? Eventually. (laughs) Yes. We have things to say about it. Yeah. So. Exactly. Yep. Um, all right. Well, uh, Thank you for listening if you made it this far. And uh, you can drop us a line at uh, polyphonicpressmusic at gmail.com. Uh, you can check us out at uh, polyphonicpress.com. And if you want to help out the show, uh, you can do that at uh, buymeacoffee.com slash polyphonicpress. And um, that's about it. Uh, I'm Jeremy Boyd. And I'm John Van Dyke. Take it easy been listening to polyphonic press follow us on twitter and instagram at polyphonic press check out the website polyphonicpress.com feel free to drop us a line at polyphonicpressmusic at gmail.com and finally you can support the show by heading over to patreon.com slash polyphonic press